Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. Welcome to 2023, everybody. I hope it is off to a fantastic start for you. So I wanted to start out the year getting warmed up together, and I'm going to try a slightly different episode format. So I'm doing a lot more writing going into 2023, and I thought it would be interesting to also distribute that writing through audio. So you'll see that right now I have consolidated all the writing in the podcast onto one platform, which is Substack. So you can sign up and you'll get both an email and the audio in your feed. So that way, whichever format you prefer, you'll get. You can get it in writing, you can get it in audio, you can get it in both, whatever works for you. So I'm trying this out and we'll see how it goes. Let me know if you have any feedback. I would love to hear from you. You can always reach out at connect at matter.com and I read everything that comes in. All right, so let's get into this. So I just want to start off by saying I just feel incredibly blessed coming into 2023. You know, coming off a sabbatical just before the holidays, like you'll hear about in the last episode with DJ, I was actually very fortunate. I was one of 50 product coaches invited to a sort of coach the coaches training in New York City led by the man himself, the godfather of product, Marty Kagan and his firm, Silicon Valley Product Group. And we ended up spending a week virtually first and then two very long days together in New York going deep on the cutting edge of product management, product leadership, and all things involved with transforming product organizations to work like the best. The timing and the sense of community felt very aligned. It was also just a full circle moment for me because you may not know this, but Marty's first book, Inspired, is actually what originally made me want to go into product and realize that was the path I wanted to take many years ago. So after that time with these amazing coaches and just really having amazing conversations and discussing a lot of these issues, I wanted to share five of my top takeaways from that experience, some of which I've learned before, some of which are new, and some that I'm, I'm learning all over again from a new perspective as a coach. So here we go. I'll go through these really quick. First of all, vision, product vision. It is hard and it is worth it. Now, creating a compelling product vision, it's hard work. And you know what? As much as it's talked about, it's actually still undervalued done well, it should be emotionally compelling. It should be aligning for everybody on the team. And it should also be your strongest recruiting tool. If you're listening to this podcast, I obviously care about making things that matter. And there is nothing that conveys that more to someone you're speaking with than your vision. And if a vision is not compelling, well, it might be time to redo it and have that live up to its potential of what it can do for your recruiting, for your team alignment, for your people's engagement, all of the above. And by the way, it's called a vision for a reason. You should be able to see it. You should be able to describe it in vivid terms. You should be able to literally show it to people. And it should be emotionally resonant. Now, most people have not actually seen a good example of a good vision. So there are three that I'll link to in the show notes that will help give you an idea. First of all, now I know he's not the tech world's favorite person right now, but Elon Musk and SpaceX certainly have a compelling vision that you can check out. Secondly, is a very compelling vision from Microsoft's productivity group about the future of how the productivity suite of things that they are aiming to build can transform our work. And then finally, it's sort of a back to the future kind of thing. We have the original knowledge navigator product vision from 1987 by Apple. And what blows me away about that video is it was done, what is that, 26 years ago now? And it is, no, 36 years ago now, excuse me. It is still compelling and still prescient. The, the, 
foresight in that video really just gives you an idea of what is possible. They were forecasting things in that video that did not come onto the scene for 20 years, but it was still a compelling vision in North Star to work towards. And you know, the craziest thing about the topic of product vision, in my opinion, after talking to a lot of people about it, everybody thinks it's super hard to do, but it's actually not that hard. It's actually not that hard to develop the the compelling vision assets. It's often called a vision type. It can actually be done and actually physically created in as little as one or two weeks if you approach it right. So if it, if it's in your mind as some incredibly massive thing that takes forever to do, I just want to push back on that and reframe it and say, I, I mean, I have personally worked with people and done this in, you know, one or two weeks. So it's okay. Number two, innovation is inherently risky and unpredictable. And can we please just stop pretending otherwise? All right. Fair warning, I'm going to get a little spicy here. This is the one that really gets to me, so I'm going to rant for a second here. It it just seems to me that much of our world remains captivated and raptured by innovation theater. If you haven't heard about it yet, I'm going to introduce you to it now, SAFE. SAFE stands for the Scaled Agile Framework, and it has got to be the worst culprit. If you look at their quote-unquote simplified diagram, their essentials diagram, it is so confusing. I have no idea what it means. It's one of the worst examples of buzzword bingo that I have seen yet. Like I look at it and I I know what each of the pieces mean individually, but when you look at it as a whole, it just, it doesn't make any sense. And my hunch at this time is that this idea that like the right process will make it all work. The right process will save us is toxic. It's, it's not only wrong, it's harmful, but I, in a, in a weird sort of twisted way, I have to give it some respect because it's just damn good marketing by the big consultancies like the Accentures and the Deloittes and the Baines of the world. So let's go through that. Why is it wrong? Well, first of all, there is no formula for innovation. There is no recipe that will guarantee it. Yes, there are principles, there are patterns, there are frameworks, and those are helpful. But no, there is nothing and there is nobody who can 100% guarantee you that innovation or an attempt at innovation is going to work. Reality is just too damn messy for that. And that flies exactly in the face of what SAFE is trying to promise. It's trying to promise executives that if you just follow this process, you're, you're going to hit all your goals and it's all going to work out and you're going to get your bonus and no one's going to be mad at you and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Why is it harmful? Well, frankly, the big consultancies have sold business executives this dream. The big consultancies basically work on a business model of trust with senior executives. And that's fair. They do a lot of, you know, helpful things. But they, in this case, I think are taking advantage of that trust to sell something to these companies that I don't think is actually helping them. Safe and, and the things that are related to it are just this massively complex process that requires the clients who are buying it to basically lease an army of people from that consultancy to implement the process. But process will not guarantee these results. So at this point, frankly, if I talk to somebody who's thinking like, hey, we're going to use SAFE and it's all going to work out to you know, develop a great product in an organization. It, I just wish them luck. And you know, it's like, call me back in a couple of years when you've torched a few million dollars and everybody's pissed off, frankly. It's just, it just doesn't work that way. I can't find any examples. I don't even know of any examples, nor does anybody I know know of an example of this actually working well. Now, finally, you know, even though I really dislike it, I got to give some respect to it being effective marketing because you know, the point of all this stuff, whether it's safe and, and sadly, a lot of the agile stuff has gone this way too. The point of all of this was to make better products, to do it faster, to do it more efficiently. And yet somehow a lot of the companies buying these massive processes and the armies of humans to implement them 
they kind of missed the fact that they were sold a complex process that requires an army of people to pull off. And frankly, it's like, who benefits from that? It's basically just the big consultancies who are in the business of leasing these armies of humans to execute complex processes, which may or may not actually work. As an aside, I I think it's no accident that the acronym chosen here is quote-unquote SAFE because it's marketing playing to the risk-averse nature of some of these executives. So I'm sad to say, I think this has essentially happened also to most things in the Agile world. If you go, you know, read the original Agile manifesto, it, it, it's almost unrecognizable uh, compared to what most companies that are doing quote unquote agile are doing today. But to sum this all up, and I'm going to end this rant, safe doesn't work because innovation is inherently an unpredictable, risky game. There is no paint by numbers formula for a working innovation or a strong strategy. It's just hard work. People can help, but you cannot paint by numbers your way to innovation. All right, end of rant. So moving on, what does work? Developing and scaling strong product, people, and culture, not process. And that is a whole topic that deserves its own standalone post, many standalone posts, but we're going to move on for now. Okay, takeaway number three, leaders should spend 50 to 80% of their time on staffing and coaching. That's right. I said 50 to 80% of their time. Most people hear that number and say, what? Are you insane? I don't have that time. You know, the, the amount of time and energy that it takes to staff and hire and coach a team effectively is massive. And even with that high of a, of, a, of a denominator, it's still possibly the highest ROI thing that we do as product leaders. If you're a manager of people, your responsibility is to build a, build a great team, cultivate an environment where those people can do their best work and coach them to their highest potential. If you're a first-line manager, like a director of product, this should probably be like 80% of your time. Most of your time should be invested in your people. Your responsibility is no longer building the product, your responsibility is the people that are building the product. And I want to call out a really subtle but actually quite powerful reframe or mindset shift here. You're not spending time on your people. You are investing it in them. You know, I hear a lot like, oh God, I spend so much time on people issues. Just think about like that mindset. It's not a cost. It's an investment. So you don't spend your time on people issues. Invest your time in your people. Again, it might occur as semantics, but Language shapes the way we think and therefore act. So I think there's more to it than just semantics. All right, takeaway number four, onboarding. Onboarding is a massively underappreciated opportunity to level up the competence and the engagement of the people on our teams. Far too many leaders just bring somebody on, plug them into the regular cycles of one-on-ones, if that, and just assume it's all going to work out. It won't. It won't. This is abdicating responsibility number one that we talked about above, the development of your people. Now, a really powerful idea that I love for onboarding new people, I got from Christian at Silicon Valley Product Group, and it's to set up a regular new team member bootcamp where the new person works through real problems with their new teammates to build trust and engagement and competence and learn the business. And then secondly, to really take care of those new people throughout the whole process of their onboarding. The first 90 days are critical. Now, many of us have thought about the first 90 days when we are the new employee, but how much thought have we put into shaping those first 90 days for the new people on our teams? Consider how much you can impact the emotional engagement and work relationships of a new team member by thoughtfully intervening at key touch points in those first 90 days. Once they've accepted an offer, think about it. How are you maintaining and increasing their excitement, their connection, and their competence in their new role? So here are five key moments to be really intentional about and just put some thought into. First, 
going into their first day on the job. That's a big day for everybody in their life cycle at a company. Secondly, at the end of their first day or the next morning. Third, going into their first weekend. Recap the first week with them, build more excitement, give them the words about how great they're doing, about how exciting this is, about where it's all going, because they're going to use those same words you feed them to describe to their friends and family over the weekend how their new job is going. So you have a real opportunity here to positively shape the way this new role is living in their social environment, which is going to shape how they how they show up at work. Number four, when they get their first paycheck, those people are going to be asking themselves, was it worth it? This is a good time to make sure that they feel it was worth it and to also show them a growth path forward. Give them their first development plan based on what you've learned over your first amount of time working together so they can see a growth pathway forward because people are motivated by growth. And fifth, last but not least, at their first review, really think about how are you getting them equally, if not more excited as they were on their first day. And by their first review, I mean the quarterly one-on-one discussion about how they're growing and how you're helping them grow. I do not mean the formal HR, like annual review for compliance and paperwork purposes. I'm talking about the, the quarterly one you should be doing with these people. Okay, last major takeaway. Number five, trust is the sine qua non of transformation. It is trite, but it is true. Without trust, you've got nothing. You just, you do. And that is built day by day, week by week in one-on-one relationships and working through things with people. Many failed products actually stem from the culture, unfortunately, that is inculcated by the company leaders who don't staff, develop, and trust strong people to build the right product. This is the root of basically, you know, trying to do command and control and and doing product by fiat, right? Where the executives are trying to say, oh, do this, we promise that. You know, sure, there's good intentions in there, but there's also often mixed in there a lack of trust because it does take trust to give up a certain level of control to the product teams and the product people. And even more importantly than this, if you're at all attempting to do some kind of a a transformation, a turnaround, absolutely nothing is going to happen without trust. So one exercise you can do is to look at every single level and relationship within the org from the CEO all the way through to the individual contributors and ask yourself how much trust is in those relationships based on the day-to-day, week-to-week operating rhythms. Not what people say, not the stuff on the wall. Like actually, if you just look at what's happening day-to-day, week-to-week, what does that actually say about how much trust is there? And wrapping this up, to aid your efforts in thinking about and improving trust in the workplace, I really recommend reading a short and excellent book called The Thin Book of Trust. All right, links to all this will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time and I wish us all a fantastic year. Let's go make things that matter in 2023. We'll see you out there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.